Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. Be sure to follow this podcast to receive notifications every time there is a new podcast. We are going to be studying the book of Luke and unpacking chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 4, and let's begin with verse 1. Let's get into it. Now, I'm just going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll go back and visit about those. We're going to be getting into Satan tempts Jesus. So verse 1 begins, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now this vivid narrative contains an important blend of theological themes. In fact, the next 13 verses will show the divine sonship, and the Messiahship of Jesus, the warfare between Christ and Satan, some Old Testament theology, and principles of obedience to the divine word. But before we take a look at at these verses, I want to make a quick mention here at Satan. The devil has several names in the Bible. Notably, the Old Testament name is of Satan. Now, the devil opposes God and God's servants. Now, Satan may seem to be everywhere, but he's not omnipresent like our Lord is. The devil can't read people's thoughts, and sometimes he works indirectly through evil spirits who form his domain. Sometimes those are called demons. But with that in mind, there was never a time in our Lord's life when he was not full of the Holy Spirit. But it's specifically mentioned here in connection with, with his temptation. Now to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely yielded to him and to be completely obedient to every word of God. A person who is filled with the Spirit is emptied of known sin and of self and is richly indwelt by the word of God. Now as Jesus was returning from the Jordan where he had been baptized, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And some of your versions may have desert. But probably the wilderness of Judea is where it was along the west coast of the Dead Sea where this took place. Now there he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now keep in mind these days were in which Jesus ate absolutely nothing. And at the end of the 40 days, the threefold temptation with which 
we're going to become more familiar with, actually took place in three different places. They took place in the wilderness or the desert, a mountain, and of course, the temple in Jerusalem. The true humanity of Jesus is reflected by the words, he was hungry. And this was the target of the first temptation. Satan suggested that the Lord should use his divine power to satisfy his bodily hunger. The subtlety of the temptation was that the act in itself was perfectly legitimate, but it would have been wrong for Jesus to do it in obedience to Satan. Now, Jesus must act in accordance with the will of his Father. God allows or allowed the devil to tempt his son, to tempt Jesus. The reference to bread is probably a temptation for Jesus to satisfy his own need and gratify himself. But since bread is not inherently evil, the main issue is not one of allurement to perverted self-gratification, but a challenge to act apart from faithful dependence upon God. And let me take a quick side note here. It is important here to distinguish between three kinds of tempting, of temptation. The first one is that Satan tempts people. Satan lures people to do evil. God never does this, nor can God himself be tempted in this way. Keep that in mind. A second point I want to make is that people may tempt or they may test God in the sense of provoking him through unreasonable demands that's contrary to faith. And this is what Israel did in the desert. When we study the book of Exodus, we'll see more of that. In, his, or in this temptation by the devil, the Lord Jesus shows the validity of what God had just said of him. With you, I am well pleased. Now, in this section, as we continue, we'll see several contrasts. We'll see how Israel failed God's test while Jesus fully obeyed his father. Israel in the Old Testament gives a parallel here with their temptation in the desert after the Exodus when they failed God's test. We also see John contrast Jesus, who is both filled with and also led by the Spirit, and note Luke's emphasis on the Spirit, and the devil, who opposes both Christ and he opposes the Spirit. And then finally, another quick point is that Luke implies a contrast between Jesus as hungry, the physical emptiness, if you will, and yet, he is full of the Spirit. Our own experience is usually the reverse. But that's the end of my side note for that, so we can get into verse 4. Jesus resisted the temptation that Satan was given him by quoting Scripture from De Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, Jesus' reply is brief. It's a partial quotation of Deuteronomy 8, where Moses was reminding Israel of God's testing them for 40 years. Now, keep in mind again that when they say scripture here, 
it's always going to refer to the Old Testament because during Jesus's time, there was no New Testament yet. But more important than the satisfaction of physical appetite is obedience to God's word. Now, Jesus refers to hunger and the provision of manna, which the Lord gave Israel so that the people might know that humans need not merely just bread, but they also need the sustaining word of God. Now, what you notice here, Satan did not argue. And this shows just how powerful God's word is. A single text silences when used in the power of the spirit. It's very powerful, folks. Make no mistake about that. The whole secret of strength in conflict is using the word of God in the right way. And that is one reason why memorizing scripture can be and is very important. So when we are put into certain certain circumstances, we can with confidence and we can with boldness quote scripture to help alleviate us from the situation that we may be dealing with at that time. And I want you to notice how Jesus, while he is being tempted by the devil, he's proving faithful to God in contrast to Israel's response when they were tested by God in the desert. Jesus is dependent on God. Jesus is obedient to his word. That is something important to take note of and also to practice after. Now, getting into verses 5 to 7, in the second temptation, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And it doesn't take long for Satan to show all that he has to offer. It was not the world itself, but the kingdoms of this world that he offered. Now, there is a sense in which he does have authority over the kingdoms of this world. Because of man's sin, Satan has become the ruler of this world. He's the god of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. God has purposed that the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So Satan was offering to Christ what eventually is going to be Christ anyway. What the devil offered was legitimate in itself. But again, the Messiah, Jesus, would one day rule or will all day, uh, one day rule all the world, possessing all authority and splendor. Now, in, his, or in this temptation, the devil claims to possess the world, a claim that Jesus neither challenges nor does he acknowledge it. Now, had Jesus accepted the devil's offer, our salvation would have been impossible. There could be no shortcut to the throne. The cross had to come first. In the counsels of God, the Lord Jesus had to suffer before Jesus could enter into his glory. He could not achieve a legitimate end by a wrong means. Jesus did not take any shortcuts. Now in verse 8, before we go back and read some more scripture, therefore Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, 
to show that as a man, he should worship and serve God alone. Under no circumstances would Jesus worship the devil, no matter what the prize might be. Jesus would have sinned by giving worship to the devil and could not have offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, Scripture teaches that the Messiah should first suffer and only then enter his glory. So had Jesus listened, he would have been avoiding the cross altogether. But by quoting Deuteronomy 6, Jesus responded as the perfect human being should respond, should be worshiping, and should be serving God alone. Both of the Old Testament texts that Jesus quoted so far from verse 4 and now here in verse 8, they're more than weapons against the devil. These apply to Jesus himself. Now let's get back to our Bible here, and let's pick up with verse 9, and let's go down to verse 13. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay, let's go back up to verses to verse 9. And I want to take verses 9 and 11, to, uh, 9 through 11 together here. In this third temptation, Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem to the pinnacle of the temple and suggested that Jesus throw himself down. Now, Luke records this temptation in the last rather than in the second place, like Matthew did. Matthew listed it as the second temptation. The essence of this temptation is that of presuming on God and displaying before others one's special favor with God. Had not God promised in Psalm 91 that God would preserve the Messiah? Now, just a quick side note here so I can mention something. In this instance, we see Satan quote scripture out of context, of course. Keep in mind that Satan knows scripture of what it says. However, his purpose in using it is to perverse the scripture, to twist and to use it against someone to deceive them into doing his bidding. Now here we're getting a glimpse again of how sinister Satan can be to try and get his own way. The mere use of biblical words does not necessarily convey the will of God. Now, perhaps from the rabbinic tradition, from the rabbis, Satan was tempting Jesus to present himself as Messiah, by performing a sensational stunt. In the Old Testament, Malachi had predicted that the Messiah would suddenly come to his temple. Here then was Jesus. It was his opportunity to obtain fame and notoriety as the promised deliverer without going to the cross at Calvary. But for the third time here in verse 12, 
we see that Jesus resisted temptation, again, by quoting from the Bible and, more specifically, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, actually verse 16, which forbids putting God to the test. Now, Jesus applies the words to his own refusal to tempt God. That is, he will not repeat the sin that Israel committed in the desert by putting God to the test. To do that would be to provoke God in unbelief by making inappropriate demands for a divine sign to be used for display. And with that, I want to close. I am running out of time, but next time we'll pick up here and uh, we'll continue with verse 13. So until next time, hey, God bless each and every one of you, and you keep living. Christian Strong.